This episode is brought to you by Feel Free from BotanicTonics.com. Feel Free is a small two-ounce shot made from kava and other ancient plants, and the feeling that it provides is incredible. It is euphoric. It gives you this sense of focus. It reduces anxiety, and it just puts you in a relaxed state in your body. Think of it as a plant-based magical elixir that can uplift your mood, increase your productivity, and give you the energy to do the things you want to do today. There are so many applications for when you can use Feel Free. A few examples are using Feel Free to get into a flow state before yoga, meditation, or exercise. People are using this as a kind of energy drink to go running for miles at a time. And it's also great for socializing. It just makes it easier to connect to people around you. There isn't this kind of background hum of anxiety anymore. It just really melts away. And that also makes it a great replacement for alcohol. So if you're ready to feel free, go to botanictonics.com and use promo code ZIAN40 for 40% off. Again, that's botanictonics.com, promo code ZIAN40, X-I-A-N 40, at botanictonics.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sheath, the underwear of legends. What makes Sheath different is the pouch on the inside. Now this is a game-changing invention that completely revolutionizes the male undergarment. These are the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn by far. They've got amazing designs and styles, super comfortable fabrics. My favorite is the bamboo and also the V, which is a long leg athletic underwear that doesn't ride up and it supports you where it matters most. So go check out Sheath at sheathunderwear.com and use promo code TIMEWHEEL to save 20%. Once again, that's sheathunderwear.com, promo code TIMEWHEEL.
All right, we are rolling, and I'm here with my friend Glow. How's it going today, sister? Oh, man, so good. I feel reset and renewed. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. In every way. I can imagine. Yeah, so you had just got back from a silent retreat, um, which you decided to do for your birthday. Uh, How long was the retreat? So... 10 days, but it, mm. it really is, you know, 12 because you arrive and then start the next day and then you end on the 10th day, the 10th day, and then you still the next day there's cleanup and you're still heading home. So altogether 12 days in and out, but 10 days in the actual silence. Wow. <laughs> profound yeah i'm sure we'll get into uh what you experienced there but before we do what was it that called you to want to do this in particular because it's quite a quite a feat (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a good question um so about eight years ago um boyfriend i was dating at the time he had gone and came back and introduced me to one of the first techniques of um one of the the meditation techniques they teach you, which is just breathing through your nostrils. And I started meditating after that. And meditation has been a big part of my life ever since. And um, to the point where I was able to consistently meditate like 20 minutes in the morning. And, and that was became like my daily medicine. So it was such a big part of my life. And Um, just my day-to-day routine that I was like, well, what's, what's more, you know, what, what more is here? And in August, when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for my 30th, I really wanted it to be something that I would never forget and something to close out this decade of my twenties. I think it, I think anyone closing out their twenties is about to step into a really powerful new decade. And I think the twenties are just significant of so much. Um, I read this book called the defining decade, and it's all about how the twenties are a big defining moment of your life. And I just knew that I wanted to memorialize my 20s in some way and just my life up until this point. It's been, um, I just feel like I've had quite a wild life, especially in the last three years and, you know, going through my Saturn return and just everything. And I wanted a moment to just sit with it all. And I couldn't have thought of a better (laughs) experience than to just be by myself. You know, I've been in partnership now for almost five years. So, being alone and without that constant reflection is not a common experience as well. Even when we're apart, we're talking. So I wanted to really take a moment in my life to be completely alone and just see what comes up. And I had a lot of intentions going into it, which I'll share more of. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I knew I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. (laughs) Yeah. So I just knew I felt called in August. I felt really called. I was like, what do I want to do? And this kept coming up and I was so scared to sign up and do it. But I was like, okay, so I signed up and did it. And I didn't know until a few weeks before that I was actually going to be able to go because I was on the wait list. But I felt deeply called. It was the first thing that came up when I was like, what do I want to do for my 30s? 
And the last part of that was birthdays every year for me are always a thing. And I think just because growing up, you know, we are kind of trained and programmed to be seen and celebrated and to be, you know, the most important person on that day. And there was a part of me that deep down has always felt disappointed and just all of this like negative energy around a day that's supposed to be like in celebration. And that's because, you know, I think growing up, it was like, oh, that one friend didn't come to the birthday party, or you didn't get the one thing you wanted, or the one intention of the day you didn't get. And so I was just tired of feeling disappointed. And I was like, my mantra was like, I just want to be alone and be happy. So that was one of my big intentions for it. And especially for my birthday. Right. Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, people that are kind of more sensitive to, to energies, you know, empathic maybe can, um, have a little bit of a struggle on these holidays. You know, I myself feel similar ways, whether it's a birthday or Christmas or, you know, something like that. Um, not really like Halloween. I always have a good time on Halloween for some reason, but, (laughs) um, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's a great thing to be able to to do as an adult, which is, you know, finally do exactly what you want to do on your day. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you, you know, took that, like seized that opportunity and Mm. and did that. Was there other intentions that you kind of thought that you would aim for during, during this retreat? Yeah, definitely. I had a lot and, I I wrote in my journal in the car right before I went in Mm -hmm. because I had so many intentions. I was like, this is just going to be too much for me to try and think and remember and focus on all these things. So what I ended up landing on was dedicating the experience for my future self, my future relationships, my future family. Anthony and I want to have kids you know, so I think one of my greatest intentions was honestly just clearing out um, just all of the stuff I don't want to bring into motherhood, into mm. what I want to pass on to my child. I feel deeply called to passing on everything that I've learned to another being through my DNA. So mm-hmm. I feel that calling. And um, that was definitely one of the biggest intentions. Um, I will say that that was one of the big main ones. And then aside from that, personally, one of the big things I've been struggling with in the last few years has been my emotional capacity for just handling hard things. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the first, I just, I feel like I have this, I've, I've had this attachment to things working out a certain way. Um, and I think it's a bit of the manifestation. Um, I don't know what you'd call it, but the, the, like, it's like a manifestation facade almost where it's like when Mm -hmm. things like no one really talks about how do you deal with it when things don't go how you want. Mm, So I feel like there was a part of me that didn't have that muscle as developed. And so I would have these desires and cravings for different things. And then when they wouldn't happen, whether it be in a relationship or in my um, career life or just different parts of my life, I would feel like completely knocked out, Mm. especially when unexpected things would happen. You know, some relationship issue would come up Mm. or, you know, drama or just little things. It was always like, okay, well, I'm 
I'm okay that things, these things are happening, but emotionally on the back end, I'd be taken out for hours or a day when difficult things would happen. And I was just like, I don't know what it is, but I need to figure out how to handle this because I just, I can't, I can't operate in a world when I can't handle unexpected things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was a big intention. Yeah. 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 That's that what brings to mind that, you know, of course I think this is something we all deal with, but um, it's this natural urge to like hold expectations for a certain thing. And when we expect certain things, when they don't happen, we're let down. So I try to tell, you know, myself, but also people like my, my family, my brother, my my best friends and stuff like, yo, the expectations are what's going to let you down. Like do a thing, but don't expect the fruit of that thing. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of from Taoism, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, you're entitled to the action, but not the fruit of the action, uh, which is so interesting. It's such a different uh, way to look at it because it's almost like in modern America and hustle culture, it's all because we want the fruit of it, mm-hmm. which is why we do it. Like, why mm-hmm. do we become entrepreneurs? Because we want to be free and we want to have money and we want to, you know, be able to do what we want when we want. We, we don't want to have a boss, these types mm-hmm. of things. And yeah. um of course, I think it can definitely happen and we can get what we expect to get many times, but it also just becomes a little bit of a balance with learning how to do certain actions and not expect anything to come of it. And what's great is on the bright side of that, if you don't expect anything and something really good happens, you're like extra happy. You're like extra fulfilled. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? So definitely relate to that. And that's something that I think most of us are working on. Um mm-hmm which is, you know, like <clears throat> that uh, holding expectations for what we want to manifest. And I think it's great and good intention to want to manifest things in our lives, beautiful experiences, beautiful relationships, beautiful career opportunities. Um, but yeah, it's certainly like a balance of not letting yourself get too disappointed if something doesn't happen um, when you want it to. Mm-hmm. So, so. That's awesome. Is there anything you want to reflect in that before we get into what's going on at the retreat here? I think it will all start to connect so we can, <laughs> we can start getting into it. <laughs> awesome. So yeah. w- where was this retreat and maybe who was it hosted by, if you're able mm-hmm. to say? Yeah. Uh, so it was in New Ulm, N-E-U-U-L-M, New Ulm, which mm. is halfway between Austin and Houston. It's actually a pretty new center. It was built six months ago, and um, it's put on by uh, I don't know all the all the specific names, but I know the Vipassana, which is V I P A S S A N A Vipassana. Mm-hmm. If you look that up, you'll be able to see all the centers they have all over. Um, the The teachings are pre recorded by. Um, Goenka or Goenkaji. He's the teacher of this specific method of Vipassana. And then there was an assistant teacher on site. Um, I do not remember her name, but um, there was a female or woman teacher Mm -hmm. that was there on site. And basically she just is available to answer questions um, twice a day. So, um, So you do get to talk to the assistant teacher and then there's also a female manager that mm. is uh, 
part of the women's building and then there's the male manager for the men's building and you get to talk to them if you need something specifically but that's really it when when it comes Mm -hmm. to talking during it interesting okay so like what do you bring you know what what do they allow you to bring were you able to have your phone or was it just like no phone you know no phones very they're very strict um there's there's definitely a set of rules that um you agree to mm-hmm. um which is part of the experience and coming out of it i definitely agree with what they say that you know you are and aren't allowed to bring mm-hmm. it's definitely on honor system you know you check in and they they um you so when you check in you um, at some point give them your keys, your phone, and your wallet. So those are the three mm-hmm. things that you check in with them. Mm-hmm. And um, from there, you're not allowed to bring in, or I guess basically all you're bringing in is your toiletries, mm-hmm. clothes, and if you have like a meditation cushion or a backrest that you want to bring. Mm-hmm. Other than that, nothing. No reading materials, no writing materials, no speakers, wow. no... Um, yeah, nothing else. So you're basically just clothes and toiletries and wow. everything else is, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. I thought you might get to escape into a book at least. So no. damn, that's even more next level. <laughs> yeah, no, you 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 see why when you get into it, I, I will say the first couple of days, or actually, I think it was the first day I really struggled with the like stuff thing. I was like, what do I do? And your mind is just like clinging and clinging and clinging onto everything that it knows because you're, we're so immersed in stimulation. We don't know how to even be in silence for a day without a book or a journal or a phone. Mm -hmm. But I would say after the first day, I didn't really miss any of that. I was too busy in the, (laughs) in the experience. Yeah, for sure. So how does the day start? You know, like what is the schedule for, let's say day one, I guess all the days more or less stayed the same or did they vary slightly? So the first nine days are all the same, except for the day that they introduced the Vipassana technique. Mm. Um, And that day is only changed by a couple of hours. Mm. And then the the 10th day, um, we get to break the noble silence. So... Mm. Um, the 10th day isn't a full day of meditating. It's kind of an integration day. Um, but every other day, um, I, well, actually every day, all the 10 days, um, they ring the bell to wake up at 4 a.m. The first meditation is 4.30 to 6.30. And then there's breakfast, 6.30 to 8. 8 to 9 is a mandatory mandatory meditation in the, in the meditation hall. So there's a meditation hall where you can meditate. You can also meditate in your room. You can't meditate anywhere else. It's only in the meditation hall or in your room. So eight to nine is the second one. And then nine to 11, we start meditating in the hall. And then you can go to your room usually once they excuse you. Um, And then 11 to one is lunch. And if you have questions for the teacher, you can sign up, have questions for the teacher. Then one to 2.30 is meditation in your room or in the hall. 2.30 to 3.30, mandatory in the hall. 3.30 to 5, we start in the hall and then we can go to our room. 5 to 6 is a tea break. So you're only eating two meals a day. And then the third um, break is just fruit. So they had 
bananas, apples, oranges, and ginger tea. And that's five to six. And then then you still have the, the whole rest of the evening. So six to seven, you have a meditation. Seven to eight is a discourse. So there's a teaching, which is a recorded video of Goenka um, in the meditation hall. And then the last meditation is eight to nine. And then you go to get ready for bed. Dang. And then it all yeah. starts over at 4 a.m. It starts all over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is a ton. That's crazy because I think of myself as someone who meditates regularly, maybe yeah. even more than most people. But right. like in one day, it, you've done two weeks of my meditations, it sounds like. If you went to every meditation, uh, well, if you meditated every time, which, you know, there is some flexibility because you are in your room and no one's like looking through the window and watching you. <laughs> so if you go to, if you do meditate every single time, it's like a hundred hours, it's 10 Jeez. hours a day. Damn. Yeah. That yeah. is wild. Yeah. in in a week, in 10 days. So yeah, yeah it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, similar to you. I was like, I consider myself a meditator. Mm. No, no. Nope. <laughs> 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 but I mean, this is definitely extreme. So <laughs> yeah. Well, before we get into, you know, all the things that come up or where the mind goes during all of this. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to get a little more of like the logistical of the, of the space. Like what type of foods mm-hmm. did they have you eating? Was it vegetarian diet? Yes. So like, what was like maybe breakfast and lunch? Like breakfast was pretty much the same every day. There was a nice array. There was cornflakes and, you know, raisin bran. Uh, they had all the different like milk, you know, oat and soy and regular mm-hmm. milk. They made um, pretty much every day. They made fresh chai tea, which was awesome. Mm. The food was amazing. They had oatmeal every morning. They made a lot of Indian dishes. Um, mm. So they would like sometimes vary in the mornings with uh, some kind of Indian breakfast, like some kind of grains mixed with mm-hmm. vegetables. And then there was also bread and peanut peanut butter and jelly um, mm. and a few different varieties of tea, like decaf green tea, black tea, chamomile. There was honey, mm-hmm. hot sauce. So you had like a lot of the basics for breakfast mm-hmm. and lunch. Lunch felt like dinner because that was the only like big meal that you ate every day. Mm-hmm. And it was bomb. Like every, <laughs> every, I was actually very surprised. There was um, like one day there was stir fried noodles with, you know, all, all kinds of veggies and peanuts and tofu. And then other days it was like a, a huge array of different Indian food, like dal and um, different like roasted veggies. So, um, and then one day was like a vegetable lasagna. Like it was really good food. They almost always had a salad bar mm-hmm. and um, there was kind of like one kind of main dish and then like a side veggie dish. And it was really good. Every single meal was absolutely delicious. So they did not skimp on making really good food. And um, yeah, and then that was, I think that was it. Oh, then they would also even serve dessert a lot of the times too with the lunch. So there was like brownies one day, like brownie <laughs> trifle. There was one day there was ice cream, like dairy free ice cream. Another day there was carrot cake, and it was nice. really, really good food. That's that awesome. Was, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear, you know, um, as far as like what they ate, because uh, 
that's always one of the most interesting parts of retreats, at least the ones I've been on, um, to just see like h- how do they keep that the pranic food uh, inspiring you to meditate deeper and deeper, um, and it certainly does that. But uh, let's get into like the nitty gritty here of sitting down, eyes are closed. You know what's happening, like what's coming up, what. Yeah. What what were the challenges? What were the highlights? You know, Mm. all that. Yeah. (sighs) So they start out, um, I say they, I'm referring to Goenka because that's um, who's teaching everything. So you start out, um, I I would break it down into three phases of the technique that they teach you. So this is a specific style of meditation technique. And you aren't actually doing the Vipassana style technique until the fourth day. So the first three days, all you're doing is focusing on your respiration. So you start out um, and they encourage you to sit down. You keep your eyes closed for the entire duration and you are just focusing on the sensation of your respiration. So awareness of the breath is the secret to success. That was my, like what stuck with me out of everything he said. So the first three days, all you're doing is sitting with your eyes closed and bringing all of your awareness just to the sensation um, passing in and out of your nostrils. So you're focusing um, around your nostrils and um, you can also focus on the respiration in and out and that's it. So everything that's not that is a constant pulling back of your awareness to the sensation. And that was actually, aside from the pain that I was feeling, which I'll get into, um, that was pretty hard. I mean, because our brains are going a million miles an hour and taking in so much data all the time. So mentally, that was probably one one of the harder parts was just to get my mind to focus on the awareness of these sensations. So that's the first three days. Um, So you start out with the sensations around your nostrils and of your respiration. So you can notice the respiration and you can also notice just the um, sensations in and around your nostrils. And then the second step, so on the, um, it was a second or third day, then now all you're focusing on is the area between your nostrils and your upper lips. So just this tiny little area right here. I think this was actually the third day. So the entire day, your entire awareness is just on any sensation that arises in this area. Mm. So everything that's not that is a pulling back to that. So there are thoughts coming up. Mm-hmm. many thoughts coming up. Every single thought that you could ever think is coming up <laughs> and um, you're trying to come back to this sensation. So definitely my mind during those first three days, my mind was going in so many places. Um, one of the main things was how am I going to do this? There's no way I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can't do this. I don't know how I'm going to last. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Come back to my breath. I can't do this. Come back to my breath. My my lower back is hurting and screaming. Come back to my breath. And 
So it was a lot of fighting the, the, the mind wanting to like go off and then the body in so much pain, um, because we're not forcing ourselves to just like sit and be in awareness of the sensations of the body. So then on the fourth day is when they introduced the Pashana. So the point of the technique up until then is to train your mind to be sharp. So to, to be able to focus your awareness on just the sensations of your body. So that's what the training was the first three days. Then when Vipassana is introduced, then now you're scanning your body. So they introduce a way to scan your body from head to toe, and you're moving your awareness from your head to your arm, to the right, to the, you start with the right arm, then you go to the left arm, and then you go to the neck, down the chest, and then you go to the back of the neck, shoulders, all the way down, tailbone, down the right leg, down the left leg. So that's it for the, for the fourth day. Now you're moving your awareness through the different parts of your body. So it's a mixture of practicing this technique, fighting pain, and then also dealing with the sensations that are coming up along the way. And then it, it goes deeper from there. So every other day after that is um, a little bit more of the technique. So the next day you're going from the top to the bottom, and then you go from your toes back up. So then you're going, first you were just going down, down, down. Now you're going down and then up, down and then up. And then from there it expands then to like doing it symmetrically. So going down both of your arms at the same time. And on the last two days for me personally is when I felt, they call them sankaras. Um, so the sankaras are what come up when you are in an equanimous state. So they teach, it's, it's Buddhist, um, but it's also universal. So the Buddhist way is Dhamma, the path of Dhamma. And Dhamma is the law of nature, which is a universal um, path, essentially. So the universal path is uh, what Buddha teaches is... Um, love, compassion, joy, peace, happiness. But the way his foundation for Dhamma is three parts. So you have Sila, which is morality. Um, So when you enter Vipassana, you um, don't lie, don't kill, don't steal, no sexual activity. Um, There's one other, there's five. So that's the foundation because Mm -hmm. you can't go into strengthening of your mind with a, you know, bad foundation. Like I want to kill people. And then you go in there and strengthen your mind. Like that's not a good way to, to reach enlightenment, which is the point of all of this. Um, or, you know, it could be clearing and eradicating suffering science. It's similar. So, um, so there's three parts. So you have Sila, which is morality. Then you have Samadhi, which is mental strength or mental fortitude. And then you have Panya, which is wisdom. So those three parts are what they're teaching you. So at the beginning, um, you take the oath, so you're fulfilling sila. Samadhi is the mental um, fortitude, which is the practicing the awareness. And then panya comes with vipassana when you're sitting with the sensations of your body. Um, essentially, so you have three, um, three things which are the main cause of suffering. So you have craving, which um, comes from desire, um, and that creates a clinging. And clinging creates misery. 
Then you have aversion, which is avoiding the thing, the painful things in life. And that also creates misery when we avoid the things that we don't want to see or look at or feel. And then you also have ignorance, which is just, we don't know what we don't know. And, um, so those are the three things that cause the sankaras, which is, um, essentially the source of all pain is what they teach. Um, well, I wouldn't say that they teach that, but they call it misery. It can translate to whatever you want to call it. Um, so the goal in the entire practice is to remain in an equanimous state. Equanimous state or equanimity is to not crave or want anything other than just being in that present moment. So you're not craving and you're not avoiding. You are just being with the present moment. And so reality in that moment is the sensations in my body. And that is actually reality in general on a day-to-day basis. We are constantly just actually experiencing sensations. If you look at it at a subatomic level, we are just experiencing sensations. So the practice is to get to that state where you are truly in in the, you're, you're in the practice, you're, you're, you're doing this technique because it helps you be present with the sensations in your body. And in different moments of the technique, you can focus on a sensation that may be coming up. So I had sensations all over my body. Um, I had a lot of pain. Every, everyone's is different. I found out at the end, every single person's is different. Everyone has stronger sensations in different parts of their body. So I had a lot in my shoulders, upper back, um, legs, obviously, especially the first few days, I had really, really bad cramps and pain in my legs. Um, and a, a couple of parts of my body where my lower left side, I've had a, a curve in my spine, um, which I had a very interesting experience with that physically, a tra- transformational experience of that part of my body. Um, I had um, a lot of pain in my chest and like around my heart. So when those, when those sensations would, would come up, right, a lot of the feelings that come from stress and anxiety, like, you know, when like when you're feeling something and like you feel like a jolt in your body and it feels painful. So all of those little things that I have ignored or tried to fix, all of those sensations came completely online to the point where I felt like, I was going to have a heart attack in some moments, or I was going to literally explode, or I was like, how am I supposed to sit here? So last, um, the last, I think four or five days, um, you go into, um, a nata, I think, and strong determination. So you sit, you pick the position you're going to sit in for the entirety of the meditation and you don't move. You can't, you're not supposed to move. The goal is to not move. So you can, you know, so, so that's when the sensations come even stronger. So those sensations would come online and it's, it's pretty much like feeling the most painful thing of your life. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and then every moment thinking you can't take it and being pushed past that. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot I could go into, but I'll give you, that's kind of the spread of what the experience is and, um, on a, on a kind of on the technique side of things of what you're experiencing and then through the physical side. So everyone that I talked to and me included was in pain the entire time. The, um, the, the first and second day I 
yeah, I was, I was breaking down for sure. The third day I started my, um, period on the, mm. the fourth day. So I was having mm. premenstrual cramps on mm. the second and third day. And I was just like, there's no way, there's no yeah. way I can do this. Like I, right. this is not my time. The third day I was talking to the teacher at the end of the evening and I was just like crying. And I was like, I, there's no way I can do this. I am in so much physical pain. Mm -hmm. I want to learn this technique, but I was like, this is not my time. Mm -hmm. And she tells me just observe, just observe, just observe. And I was like, I am, and I am still (laughs) in so much pain. You don't understand, you know, victim story, like I'm in so much pain. I, I just felt so humbled. And she was like, well, just observe, just observe. And she was like, Oh, it's because you, you know, you, you, you practice other meditation techniques. And I was like, what? I thought that was supposed to be a good thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And she was like saying it like it was a bad thing. And then she also was like, um, it's impurities. She's mm-hmm. telling me that the cause of my pain is impurities. And I got so triggered. I was just like, what? How are you, you're going to tell me that right now in my moment mm-hmm. of so much pain and misery. And she's like, well, you can't go anywhere. So just, you know, sleep tonight and we'll check in in the morning. And (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy. So I'm curious, like, what are you sitting on? You know, like Mm. it's, it's counterintuitive for people to think, you know, sitting can bring excruciating pain. I know it can (laughs) because I've sat for hours, Yeah, but you know, it almost sounds like the easiest thing you can do. What all you do is sit all day. Like That's easy. Right. But clearly <laughs> not. So, um, so I'm just curious, you know, like, is it just trying to maintain proper posture? Are you sitting on something that's really not too comfortable? Um, you know, what, what do you think it is? It's kind of making it so hard and excruciating. I think no one's prepared to sit down cross-legged or in whatever position you want for eight to 10 hours a day, you know, and then having so much weight on your butt Mm -hmm. and then also focusing your attention on your breath. You're being hit with like so much of the opposite of everything that we're used to. Like Mm -hmm. we got cushy chairs, we got couches, we got beds, you know? So you're sitting on, they have like a, um, it's a square like cotton kind of pad. And mm-hmm. then there's a, there's a seat, a sitting meditation cushion on top of that. It's like square, you know, maybe two inches thick by, mm-hmm. you know, eight inches wide by like six inches, like a little eight by six block you have. Mm-hmm. And that's what they give you to start. They do have like outside, they have a rack of uh, blankets and pillows. And they had a couple of like backrests. So you could be sitting with like a backrest. Mm-hmm. And some people brought backrests. Other people were allowed to get backrests because of like physical conditions. But they encourage you to start out with just what they give you. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And I was in so much pain. My legs were going numb. <laughs> yeah. Like the first, I would say the first 15, 20 minutes, you're like, I got this. Then you're right. like, you're at, you're at 30 and you're like, okay, I'm uncomfortable. And you want to start moving you're at 45. You're like, did the teacher forget to like ring the bell? Like, is this mm-hmm. over yet? Where, what's happening? And why right. is this not over yet? So definitely the last like 15 minutes uh, of the hour sits, you know, you have the two hour sits, which are just a whole nother thing in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but definitely like the first, when you're doing an hour sit, those last like 15 minutes feel like forever. You just want it yeah. to end. <laughs> right. Um, so is there can, no sound as well? Like it's yeah. just dead silent? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because a little bit of music, you might be able to start escaping into the, the waves of the nod, which is like the sacred energy current of music that it carries. But yeah, no, dead, dead no silence. Even, wow. even he talks about mantras and like visualizing and all of that, not encouraged not wow. at all. The whole point is to give this practice a fair trial. And I understand now why. Mm -hmm. So no, no mental mantras, no, mm. like, no, not even counting nothing. Yeah. It's, it's literally just focusing on the breath or the sensations of your body, Jeez. you know, depending on which part of it you're in. So complete silence, you're hearing everything. You're hearing the gurgling stomachs, you're mm -hmm. hearing farts, you're hearing burps, <laughs> you're hearing, any sound that comes out of the body, there's no hiding it. <laughs> you yeah. get very comfortable with everyone in the room Yeah, by the end of it. Yeah. Damn, that's crazy. Because, yeah, I mean, in the school of yoga, you know, we learn all these things to kind of help us meditate, like mantras, like understanding uh, the sacred energy current of, the, mm. of music, uh, mm. of certain yogic postures that kind of put us into deeper meditative states that, that help it all kind of flow and the time to flow by. Hmm. But yeah, this sounds a lot more different because, um, you know, for example, I sit for an hour many times and an hour goes by pretty quick, but I am using mantra. I am using music. I am mm -hmm. using incense mm. to fill this space. Uh, give me some, you know, distraction more or less, mm. which I never thought of it that way until, mm. until now that I'm hearing this, this is like, okay, meditation is just, like the bare minimum and coming back to your breath and that sensation in the body. And that sounds a lot harder. I'm going to, I'm going to have to give it a go. Just, I'm sure it's going to be nothing like what you experienced. Cause I'm going to still be here in my house, but um, I'm curious yeah. because I always use mental mantra. Mm. Uh, I almost always use, you know, music with like instrumental music or mantra music uh, or Kirtan style music when I meditate mm. So uh, this is a whole nother level. That is crazy. Um, yeah, I believe it's called Anahata. So mm -hmm. if you look up Anahata style meditation, it's mm -hmm. um, I can I could even give you just a simple breakdown of it, mm -hmm. which, which I basically already did. So yeah, mm -hmm. starting out, it's mm -hmm. just just um, the sensations around your nostril and your breath. Yeah, that's it for an hour. Is for that an hour. How it starts? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. They don't walk around and hit you with a stick every now and then, do they? <laughs> kind of wish they did. It would be a nice distraction. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I think that's from the Zazen meditation uh, tradition. <laughs> but uh, wow, intense. So yeah. did you reach any type of, you know, mystical states like third eye, Mm. states samadhi satori you know satori is like a little glimpse of enlightenment samadhi is like full full like kind of like non-dual awareness where you kind of mm. have left your body and you've become the surroundings um mm. did any of this type of thing happen or not so no. much no no i was pretty much in pain the whole time mm. <laughs> i had i will say there was a couple of moments where i um, so I learned later uh, at one 
a couple of the meditations. <laughs> okay, well, let me start with a story because yeah. then I can can get to the point of it. But the when the when the Vipassana technique was introduced the first day, I was um, I didn't realize it, but I was visualizing in mm-hmm. my meditation. So when the technique was being introduced, I felt this like golden light energy mm-hmm. because you start on the top of the head, like activate, like it mm-hmm. just was like, Wow. and yeah. I felt like this golden light, like just going down my body. Cause it was a two hour when they introduced it, it's a two hour experience. So mm-hmm. it's very slow. So it was like, start on the top of your head. And I immediately just felt like my entire aura, like I felt like it expanded and it was just like glowing and, um, it felt very pleasurable and, um, pleasurable in, in the sense that I was experiencing so much pain. And in this moment I wasn't. So that's what I mean by pleasurable. It was just not pain. (laughs) (laughs) So it felt this golden light, like rushing down. And then I felt it in my arms, like just really intense, like strong, like it felt like this glowing energy. So I -hmm. felt that activate in my whole body. And I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. And then literally the next sit, um, I started getting these, like, we call them like ear flubs, Mm -hmm. this plain, like, flew over and I felt like both of my ears like flubbed, I guess it's like, Mm -hmm. it it felt like reality was like about to snap when that happened. Mm -hmm. And so that was probably one of the most um, intense like responses I had to any of the physical sensations was that. Mm -hmm. And that's me talking about it now. In that moment I was like, Oh my gosh, like, am I about to open up and be like a channel for something like Abraham Hicks or like one of these other things. I was like, is something trying to come through me? Are aliens trying to contact me? Is this like the matrix and I'm about to have my helmet ripped off? And pretty much the rest of the day, I went into this delusion, which is what I realized later. And I was completely paranoid for the entire like evening. Um, I was in bed trying to go to sleep and my mind was just like, I, I was freaking out. Like I, mm-hmm. I kept hearing, I was having this, like my left ear was really sensitive. Mm-hmm. So when I was in my room, the AC was like, um, just putting out this like frequency the whole time. My ears were very sensitive. So every sound was like louder than it was and longer. Like, uh, the mm-hmm. gong sound was like, so then the AC in my room was freaking me out. And I was, scared to death. I thought I was going to be like blipped out of this reality. And I thought the room was shrinking in and dissolving and I was going to be ripped off. Like, so, um, I went from having this visualization, which I talked to the teacher about it later. And she said, that's illusion. Don't pay attention to it. What did you think was going to happen? Did you hear voices? Which I did, um, as well. And I realized that was the moment I realized so much of my experience as like a spiritual being Mm -hmm. is actually just delusional (laughs) Mm. Um, because uh, later I realized the sensation I was experiencing in my ear Mm -hmm. was just from tension from hunching over in my meditation. Mm. So that sensation, which I turned into, oh, am I going to be a channel or something? You know, my ego starting to be like, I'm going to be something special. Something special is going to happen to me was actually complete delusion. And it was just a physical sensation. It made me think how many more of my physical sensations in my reality am Mm -hmm. I turning into this entire story, which Mm -hmm. is then becoming a delusion. And in the past and even in like some of the more recent past had made me like paranoid. 
So I definitely, I would say I like pretty much the exact opposite happened where I feel like I broke out of a lot of the delusion that I would seek from a lot of these experiences. Um, but I would say in terms of like reaching some kind of state. So there is a state that you can reach through this practice. Um, I think it's called Baghdad, Baghdad. Mm. And, um, that's when the energy is free flowing in your body. So you don't have any painful sensations Mm -hmm. and, um, the energy is a lot is, is, is flowing up and down your body. So you can reach that state through continued practice. I did not experience that. Um, I had a couple moments where I felt like I was close, but, um, Mm -hmm. I didn't actually experience that personally. Mm, Wow. That's profound. And that's a big learning. Um, and it's certainly something I've experienced too. You know, I've, I've talked about on the podcast in the past where, for example, under the effect of, um, LSD in the woods, getting this feeling of, uh, a Buddha realization. Am I the, am I a new Buddha? Am I going to be this Buddha character now that I know this, mm-hmm. you know? And right. Yep. It can feel so special yes. and like profound at the same time. It's a little bit of a delusion, yep. <clears throat> you know, but sometimes I think that it can be helpful for someone to step outside of their kind of very square way of looking at reality. Um, to realize that reality does have so many facets uh, and that so much of the limitation we put on ourselves is by ourselves. It's, it's not the universe limiting us. It's just what we believe we're capable of or not capable yep. of. Totally. So that's a big learning though. Cause I, I know a lot of people use the psychedelics that listen to the podcast and uh, it definitely makes you feel special. It makes hmm. you feel like you have this kind of um connection to these other worlds other realms deeper spaces than other people and you can yeah. definitely hang your ego on those hmm. and think that you're better than other people which is very mm-hmm. counter to what yeah. spirituality is trying to teach you know yep. um spirituality the true sense of it you know at least for myself is that we're all equal you know mm-hmm. we're, we're we're all equally special we're all a part of this one thing and Mm -hmm. um the best thing we can do is to see each and every person as god um there's there's a divine spark within us all and if that is so no one is better or worse than each other you know so that's a big big download for sure that i think is worth sharing i'm glad that you had that realization because uh that is the danger of mm-hmm. psychedelics. You know, they yeah. can be helpful. I like to think, you know, it's all in the dose a little bit. You take just um, just a little bit of, let's say, psilocybin mushrooms. It quiets the mind. It lets you see what's before you. Mm. It lets you kind of see the reality around you, you know, mm-hmm. um, without all of our attachment to it. Um mm-hmm. And that's really nice and that's really rewarding, but that's kind of like a microdose, you know, mm-hmm. um, when you get into these higher doses where you're entering visionary spaces, yeah, there's a lot to learn there too, but there's also a lot of confusion and delusion that can come of that. So yeah. you have to have a strong kind of um, 
I don't know. I mean, uh, a, a way to not get too caught up and lost moral foundation. In, in those. You have to have a moral foundation. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah. So much. I was. Um. I would say if I could sum it up, I was deeply humbled. My ego was just shattered and ripped into the smallest pieces, and you could see what was really fascinating is because you're entering into the subconscious realm when you're removing that much distraction and sitting with the present, Mm -hmm. there's no escaping what's real, which is your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Your mind, you have the sensations of your body and then you have your mind, which is truly all that reality is um, from this perspective, right? Um, I had other perspectives as well from more spiritual standpoint, Um, but the purpose of this technique is to experience this experienced reality as it is, which is sensations and then, um, the taming of the mind essentially. Mm -hmm. So it was really easy to see when my ego would start to get puffed up Mm -hmm. and I would notice the difference of how I would interact or view people. When my ego was puffed up, I was Mm -hmm. better than other people. I was also a little bit more miserable and unhappy, but I was looking at other people with much more judgment Mm -hmm. and ego when I was, when I was in the state of being like mm-hmm. true being, which they call like, that's, that's the, pu- the, the, the whole journey of Vipassana, it's a purification process because we are truly pure. We just mm-hmm. have all of these, we could call them sankara, sin, impurities, mm-hmm. uh, misery. We have all these things in the way of seeing people as who they really are. So then when I would have those moments where I was like, in in that equanimous state, just facing all of my own shit and realizing how deeply impure I am. Like, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would identify with deeply impure I am, but just the impurities that are there, Mm -hmm. you really start to see people, you see everyone differently and you realize that is what everyone is experiencing. Mm -hmm. We are all miserable and sinful you could call it sinful or impure in some kind of a way Mm -hmm. and so in that way we are all equal and the only thing that other people deserve is love and compassion joy and peace and happiness truly because in those states that's what you realize Mm -hmm. is that's that's what the purification process does is it allows you to be and feel all of those things and when you're in that state the only thing that you want is for everyone else around you to be experiencing the same thing and to be out and rid of their misery and suffering. That's, mm-hmm. that's all that ego is. It mm-hmm. truly on a deeper level, it, all that, all that the, the, I would call it like the more toxic ego, the mm-hmm. more, um, miserable ego is, is just, it's truly just suffering. It's just not happy. Mm-hmm. And when you see that, like that, that truth and that reality has changed my entire worldview of, yeah. of how I look at people. It's like, I'm, I, I don't see people and immediately judge them anymore. I see the pain. I see mm-hmm. the suffering and my heart just overflows with love and compassion for them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a yeah. real, you do get some insane, uh, perspectives if you really do apply the practice and technique right. while you're in it. Absolutely. Sounds like it. Yeah. One thing that was coming up is you mentioned how this is kind of a Buddhist practice. Yeah. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, part of the reason that we incarnate according to Buddhism is to kind of, um, how do you say it? It's like 
I was going to say combat the karmas that we faced in our last life. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not, I'm definitely not like crazy level studied in Buddhism. So take this with a grain of salt. But from what I understand, it's like we chose to incarnate Mm -hmm. as who we are. We chose our parents because our parents would give us lessons that we need, that we decided that we need to learn. And we chose even almost the life path that we're going to walk because it's going to teach us the lessons that we need to learn. And we're going to face the karmas that we decided to face. Mm-hmm. Um, do they talk at all about karma at all in this? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what did I've, they say? Oh my goodness. I definitely learned a lot about, um, Buddhism, like he pretty much lays out like the foundation for it all. So you learn about all of that in the discourses. And Mm -hmm. so they call it sankaras. So the sankaras are the impurities that you haven't faced in your last lives that you carry into your next. That's why you continue to incarnate. So um, for example, you know, committing suicide is not a way to deal with the pain and misery in your life because according to Buddhism, you're going to continue to incarnate with those same sankharas. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't know this, but um, so the Vipassana technique mm-hmm. was Buddha's like greatest gift to mm-hmm. humanity. This Vipassana is what Buddha said, is what Buddha gave. Mm -hmm. Teaching this was what he wanted more than anything else. Mm -hmm. So the worshiping of Buddha and the altars and the feeding and the sacrifices, all of that, that is not what he wanted. That is not what he taught. What he wanted was for people to clear out their sankharas so they didn't have to continue living in misery. Mm -hmm. So you can clear out the sankharas when you're in the Vipassana um, meditation and you're in that equanimous state and you're not craving or averting. That's where the panya, the wisdom comes from and that combats the ignorance. Mm-hmm. So you're clearing your sankharas and you're receiving wisdom in, mm-hmm. in the practice of Vipassana. And this is what Buddha wanted for people. This was this yeah. this is this is the greatest way. If you want to worship Buddha, then practice Vipassana, go to a Vipassana meditation mm-hmm. retreat and experience the clearing out of all your impurities and experience the liberation from your miseries and stop suffering. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a path that they laid out, which is pretty rigorous, um, you know, on the level of monk nun status at some mm-hmm. point, but they do recognize, they call them householders. So mm-hmm. If you live and operate in society, you're a householder. If not, then you're essentially a monk or a nun. Because Mm -hmm. when you're a monk or a nun, you don't have distractions. You can clear out your sankharas or your impurities um, by staying in that equanimous state. Yeah. (laughs) Tongue twister. By staying in that equanimous state. So, um, yeah, they teach you a lot. There's there's a lot that you can do. It's it's a very workist religion. Mm-hmm. Um, where they, they say, you know, work your way to salvation, also work your way into liberation. But one of the, for me personally, um, if I can just share like my personal op- opinion on it, yeah. just as a, you know, what what my truth was. It everyone has their own truth. This is mm-hmm. just my truth, my opinion. The last um, big moments that I had in the experience when I was sitting with the pain and just really going at it the last two days, 
I realized if there is Dhamma, if there is this, this law of nature that we are going to agree is here and real and happening, which you can prove with science and you can study it, you can do all these things, then there has to be an intelligence that created it. That was the point that I came to. Yeah. And that is why I personally, I don't think I could fully subscribe to the Buddhist religion mm -hmm. because it is purely observation and reality, but there's no recognition of God at all mm -hmm. in the religion. Um, and that way it can be applied as a universal technique. Any Anyone from any background and any sect of religion can practice the technique. Yeah. But for me personally... I realized I was experiencing sensations in my body. There's some intelligence there. I didn't create that. Mm -hmm. Nature didn't create that. I feel like there had to be something else that created that. So for me, it deeply confirmed my belief in God, which I haven't been sure about the last 10 years, honestly. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've, I've been giving credit to spirit and different things, but... Um, I definitely feel like if there's intelligence, then there is a God because it's like looking at a chair and saying no one intentionally created that. Like that right. didn't just appear. There's intelligence mm -hmm. to it. So that infers mm -hmm. there has to be a creator. So that right. was my personal perspective on it. Um, but Buddhism in, in itself is a very workist work your way to salvation until you clear all your karmas. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I resonate with that. And, one thing coming up was there's this kind of metaphor. I forget where I heard it originally about if you were to, you know, assemble all the pieces required to make a cathedral and lay it out on a field, give it a million years, would the cathedral build itself? Hmm. No, it takes <laughs> intelligence to build the cathedral. Yeah. Well, life and cells are so much more complicated than even a cathedral. So could it build itself? You know, it takes intelligence to build it. Mm -hmm. That hit me as there is evidence of mm -hmm. a creator, of mm -hmm. an intelligence beyond, you know, that that is the, the creator of this experience, this reality. Um, so have you ever heard that metaphor before? No, but that's a really good one. That's... Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that one a lot. Right, because like science is just like, hey, given enough time, all these things just kind of come together and it just kind of happens. <laughs> but yeah, to think that uh, what goes on in, in our bodies and cells and animals and oceans and nature is so much more complex and unfathomable, uh, unfathomable about how it mm -hmm. happened than a cathedral being built. You know, that that to me, yeah, it, like I said, gives us some type of glimpse into how in, there is an intelligence behind creation. Yeah. Um, so I resonate with that for sure. I, I actually didn't really know that Buddhism doesn't subscribe to like a like a creator. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's just kind of like because I'm like kind of more entry level into Buddhism. I've certainly listened to some podcasts and watched some documentaries, um, but have haven't had a lot of like boots on the ground experience, like going to temple and practicing these certain methods like mm -hmm. uh, vipassana. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, we've heard about the challenges, the trials and tribulations inside of this experience, but 
you know, what was it that you took away as far as like the highlights and some of the benefits that you saw? Yeah, I love that question. I feel like there, there was so much <laughs> misery and just like suffering and pain and all of that. So this is the part that I feel like made all of it worth it was coming home. I would say the first experience I had that was a major benefit was coming home and everything felt brand new again, Mm -hmm. like walking in the door to our home and seeing my husband and seeing my sister. it, It felt like I pushed reset on life and everything was just so amazing. Like even just getting into our car, like we got a new car a few months ago and it was like, felt like a brand new car again. I was like, Oh my gosh, we're in our car. And <laughs> and I just felt like the most grateful I've ever felt inside and out, like consistently presently over and over and over again. So that was like the first thing was, um, you know, coming back and feeling like everything that I had, it was like, I just got it all for the first time. And that's like the material stuff, but it was also just my relationships. Like I, I learned so much in, in Vipassana about how I had been showing up in just a very selfish way on like a deeper level. And that's what was creating a lot of the issues. And so coming back with that awareness, I felt like I've been able to just pass over all of those issues that I was self-creating and now, you know, conflict's going to continue to arise, but I've noticed now my response is less reactive now when conflict comes up instead of going to worst case scenario or feeling like right away I start defending myself. I still feel sadness, like I still feel a response like that isn't the best feeling, but instead of putting my walls up and putting my defenses up, my heart just opens and I start crying or I just kind of feel sad or down for a minute and I'm open to a conversation and I'm listening, but I'm not like reacting and putting my walls up. So those were some of the main big things I noticed. And uh, yeah, so so many more on, on top of that, just feeling like blasted wide open with how much love I have for everyone in my life. And also the understanding of the temporariness and the impermanence of things. And I feel ready to handle that better. You know, we're going to die one day. Our family members and people that we love are going to die. And I feel like I got so much understanding of what death really is in its truest essence. It's um, actually just a sensation, a momentary temporary sensation. So yeah, getting getting to that place in, in the experience has definitely translated in my day-to-day life. And I, I still feel like I'm integrating a lot of the things, but I feel way happier. I feel like I was actually maybe even a little bit depressed before. And I didn't even realize that I might've been a little depressed because I, I wake up naturally at an early hour. I go to bed at an early hour and I feel like I was 
forcing and pushing so much before and constantly feeling like I needed to get a lot done. And now I feel much more present with everything I'm doing. And I don't feel that like rush and hurriedness to get things done. I take longer breaks. I take more naps. I feel just more in tune with like the actual like rhythm that we probably should be operating more so at. But um, yeah. And I also, I stopped drinking caffeine um, in the experience. So coming out of that, I've been continuing that and that's tuned me in even more to my body, like what my body really needs, which means like I get tired after I eat. And so I want to take a nap or I want to take a walk. Mm -hmm. I'm not like putting in outside substances to generate more stimulation to keep going. You know, I'm relaxing more. I'm resting more. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That really touches on the like retreat aspect of it, meaning almost a type of sensory deprivation. So have you ever been in one of those isolation tanks before? Yes. (laughs) So when you come out of that, it's probably a much more mild version of this, like coming home and like seeing your house as if for the first time (laughs) and your car and, you know, your husband and these things. But it it does remind me of that sensation of why Mm -hmm. the sensory deprivation is helpful for people. um, Because it does do that. It's like when you get out of uh, a one, two hour float, you're definitely like, holy shit. Like the world is, it feels new again, you know? Yeah. Um, so I can relate to that sensation through that sense of uh, that utility of mm. the um, sensory deprivation tank. Mm. And it definitely has a lot of benefit. Uh, I need to do more of them, honestly. Mm. But yeah, I think the the retreat is probably like that times 100, you know, like as far as the level of coming back to society and our normal daily life um, that it would have there. I feel really blessed that I got to do that and I've been able to slowly reintegrate. Mm-hmm. I know some some of the women I was speaking to were going to back to work literally the next day. Damn. And no integration and I really right. feel like the integration is so important like you're going to go and do all of that work and then come back and it's everything is still here when you come back, like all the old cravings, all the addictive opportunities, all, all of the people. It's like, everything's the same, but, but you're different. I'm different. Like I see the world through more loving, compassionate eyes. And all of that is the work that I've done, which now creates less suffering in my life And the main benefit is that I can help other people out of their misery and out of their suffering because, you know, I can point them to Vipassana or I can help them, you know, learn how to observe their breath. And that's the first step to being able to observe the sensations in your body, which is what a lot of people experience in anxiety is just sensations going off in their body. And, you know, they don't know what to do. So then they freak out and then they're like responding to that and then it gets worse. And then now it's a panic attack and I go to the hospital. So I think the other huge benefit is like now when you have sensations in your body, you can actually sit with them and uh, like watch them completely dissipate or at least sit with them and be in the pain and not be freaking out about it and making up a story that it means something else. So it really grounds you 
into reality and gives you like the practical tools to manage uncomfortable sensations in your body, which can come up in anxiety, which can come up in conversations with other people. It can come up in work experiences on the road with other people. It's like everything feels softer now. Yeah. yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. that's definitely what I've seen as the benefit to meditation too. Um, what little of it I do compared to that retreat, you know, but, uh, every time I stand up and kind of walk out of the room I was meditating in, yeah, there's just, just this sense of peace and warmth and wow, like reality and life is calm. It's so crazy how the storm is in our mind. You know, Mm -hmm. it it always feels like something's happening. Some, some issue is pressing. And, you know, if it's work related, I mean, it's your job. I mean, you know, reality is going to try to impede on your peace for sure. Because yeah, you got to do your job. Um, But in the sense of how much we, I don't know, worry about stuff, Hmm. it doesn't have to be there. And meditation can show you that it's just like calming the ripples. You know, there's this metaphor that people use when teaching meditation about kind of like a lake, you know, having like pebbles thrown in and seeing the ripples. Like that's our mind normally is all these rippling. But like when you let the um, when you let the waves calm, you let the pond like calm and come to stillness, you can see how much of that was just kind of mental chatter and that the real state that we um, are in and, and should try to strive to be in more is this sense of equanimity, like we've been talking about, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I like to that. And I think also the understanding that everything is subjective to your reality. So if something is going on outside of you, that is causing a reaction or an ugly part of you to come out. That's not because that caused mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. it. It's because there's something there in you that yeah. that is there for you to look at. That's your work. Right. It's, you know, opportunity for more self-responsibility. But mm-hmm. I did want to say too, that I'm sure a lot of people may think this is, sounds very scary and intimidating and, and like, Oh, I mean, I thought about doing it, but maybe not. That sounds like too much, (laughs) but I just want to iterate that I like, I am not anyone special. The fact that I was able to do this, like I felt like I couldn't do it pretty much every day, all the way up until the seventh day. So it's not even like, you're never going to be prepared But I just want everyone to know that if you feel a calling to this, then in the right timing, you should definitely go. And it will help uproot anything that on a more subconscious level, maybe a pattern that you've been trying to work through and hasn't been able to like completely eradicate yet. Like Mm -hmm. there's anything that feels like it's running your life and it's causing you misery or suffering this is a really powerful way to get into the subconscious and uproot that and come out of it being able to just live life in a much happier way. This is just one technique. There's a lot of techniques to work in the subconscious area, but again, there's just a there's a special feeling I notice when I share this with people. Some people are like, "Man, like I've been wanting to do it or now I want to do it, but that just sounds like really intense. I don't think I could do that." Mm-hmm. And I felt that pretty much up until the seventh day. So you can go in there thinking that, but 
I would just encourage anyone that feels called to not be scared of the calling and allow that that calling to pull you there because there's a reason why you feel called and you'll realize it when you're in there and when you complete it. And I just would encourage anyone to not be too too scared or worried or think anyone that does it is like anything special. There was plenty of people in there that were all, every single one of us were all in pain the entire time. But there's something about the camaraderie of like seeing everyone else sitting with you too. Right. It helps. And having the teacher, like they, they help you get through it. So aside from a, a side, a, a side note, I would say is if you do have any kind of diagnosed mental disorders, which I'm using that term because it just makes sense on the surface level, I wouldn't say you need to, you know, identify with that. But if it is something that you're pretty aware of, um, I wouldn't recommend going until you maybe go through therapy for a little bit first and mm-hmm. get some tools to deal with, you know, extreme anxiety or bipolar or anything like that. Cause right. it's not really meant to treat that. But if you feel like you're in a pretty solid place and you're ready to do some deep work and you feel the calling, yeah, yeah definitely reach out. Let me know. I mean, I've definitely mm-hmm. been considering serving again if anyone in the area wants to go and sit. So yeah. love that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, last note on that is, uh, you mentioned something earlier that we didn't really get to, which was something about your spine, right? Oh yeah. Uh, that was definitely a massive benefit. Um, so my lower, lower spine, I have a curve. Well, Mm -hmm. I don't think I have a curve anymore. Um, (laughs) so the last, the last couple of days when I was sitting, I had a backrest, a large majority of it. I Mm -hmm. had rheumatoid arthritis when I was younger healed a lot of it, but I'm pretty sure that this like flared it up. So I was in a lot of pain, um, because of that as well. So I had a backrest, but then this one sitting, I was like, I feel like I should sit up. Like I should get off the backrest and sit up. So Mm -hmm. I did. And it was a lot harder, but there was a moment where I felt a pop in my Mm -hmm. lower back and it was in a spot I've never felt like I cracked my back, but I feel this like pop and it's in that spot where that curve is. Yeah. And, um, I've had a lot of pain from that, um, before this experience because my, uh, left hip sits higher than my right hip. So like one foot's like a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. So like my muscle, um, my muscles are like naturally stronger on one side than the other. And you can see it. And my waist is like straight on one side and curved on the other. Well, I felt that pop and I was like, is that what I think it was? Mm-hmm. But I didn't really give it too much thought. And then that night, I was not able to sleep the way I normally sleep, which is uh, in a way that favors that one side. Mm-hmm. So I was feeling all this pain in, on the left side where the pop happened. And I was like, maybe it popped back into place. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of let it go. And then I get home and I was like, I feel when I'm standing, I'm not, I'm putting more weight on my right side now. And I was like noticing that. And it was like forcing me to like shift my body in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's weird. And then um, a lot of the work that I was doing in the pain, painful sensations was on my left side. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that went away and started moving to the right side. Mm-hmm. So I was like, maybe it's balancing out. And mm-hmm. I have noticed I stand differently. I'm not able to distribute weight onto my left hip like I was before. Like I used to sit or stand kind of on my left hip because it was more comfortable. Now I'm standing on both 
And the curve in my waist is way more equal on both oh, sides. Wow. So that was a pretty wild moment. There was another, they call it uh, psychosomatic. Um, they, mm-hmm. they mentioned this, that in the program, there may be psychosomatic things that happen. That's not why you should come, but they are a result. And I also noticed on the second day, I felt my right side of my cheek, mm-hmm. um, like my muscles like opened up, like they used to feel blocked. Mm-hmm. And I started to notice my right side of my mouth was drooping. And mm-hmm. I thought it was because um, I have like some jaw issues and my mouth has been like, my teeth have been shifting. So I was like, maybe I'm just using my muscles more on my left side. So I've been consciously trying, trying to use my muscles more on my right side, but nothing really changed. But one day there, it like opened up and I felt it. I felt the right side of my mouth. Like I was using uh, muscles in my cheek that I hadn't felt in a while. And I was like, do I have my smile back? And I looked in the mirror and I was like, no way. I was like smiling. And I was like, I have a full smile now. And I was like, I was staring in the mirror, like laughing and crying and just like kind of jumping for joy. I was like, really? Like, is this for real? And yeah, from from what I've experienced since both of those moments, like it's it hasn't gone away. Like I mm-hmm. sincerely believe that I had some uh, physical healings as well. Yeah. Wow. That's profound. Yeah. yeah that you know, in um, the Kundalini Yoga system, they talk a lot about the Ida and the Pingala and the Shashumna. So that's the left and right, the left, right, and central channel. Um, Hmm. of the body and definitely a lot of the meditations and work you're doing is to balance the left and right Hmm. channels so Mm -hmm. that's interesting that just like that meditation was maybe helping equalize you know the left and right channels Uh of the body of the muscles maybe even of the brain you know they say there's two Mm -hmm. hemispheres left and right Hmm. um it was just yeah maybe some sense of balancing was coming and also maybe some sense of like postural correction because, you know, when we sit at a, a normal, um, in normal life at our office or when we're eating, you know, so sometimes we can hunch and stuff. But like sitting so kind of attempting to sit so upright for so many hours um, may have like, I, I'm not sure, but maybe have like corrected some postural imbalances mm-hmm. too, you know. That's interesting that you say that because there was another really interesting benefit, I would call it coming home that I noticed between Anthony, my husband and I, Mm -hmm. and I came back in probably the most feminine state, right? Mm -hmm. Because I just, I couldn't really do much. He had been taking care of the house and the dogs and doing all this without me since I've been gone. I don't think that's, that hasn't happened. It's happened like once, but not in a way where we didn't have communication, you know? Mm -hmm. So I came back in a much more feminine space, you know, like just very present, open to receiving because I was receiving food and mm-hmm. care the whole time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it definitely like, I feel like it re- reset it. Like our, our roles have shifted a lot because, mm-hmm. um, the beginning of our relationship, I was mainly working, supporting him. The last couple of months is the first time in our relationship that started shifting. And then mm-hmm. I went to this retreat because he was able to support me for this month. Mm -hmm. And it was a kind of a big moment for us to shift roles for Mm -hmm. the first time in our relationship. And I come back and 
he's the one having all these business ideas. That's normally me. I'm talking his ear off with business ideas. <laughs> and I'm the one sitting there like, I can only take so much of this. And it's literally mm. normally always the opposite. Yeah. And um, yeah, that was another very, very yeah. interesting thing. I'm like, I, I, I don't know what to think about this. I'm in it and I'm mm -hmm. accepting it, but it is very <laughs> different than our normal as a couple. So right. that was another interesting thing, mentioning the left and right that I thought was, was fascinating yeah. to observe in myself. Right. Yeah. The masculine and feminine polarities, you know, they exist within both of us, you know, men mm -hmm. and women, we both have both. Um, but yeah, certainly they can, you know, change with time. And that's interesting. And that's probably in my mind, the mark of a, of a good cohesive relationship, which is this kind of dance where it's like, sometimes it's me that's mm -hmm. feminine. Sometimes it's you and mm -hmm. we're going back and forth. Cause mm -hmm. I feel like I have a similar thing with uh, my girlfriend, but yeah. love to hear that. That's awesome. And I'm glad we got to share some of the benefits. Mm -hmm. um, any, any last things come to mind? Hmm. Honestly, I think, I think we covered everything. I think the only other thing is really just the truths that came up for me, but I think mm -hmm. I'll keep that because I want everyone to have their own experience. Um, if they do decide to go, yeah. um, on that note though, I will say there was a lot of, um, spiritual clarity that came through and, just so much, so much wisdom. I will say, I will say this, there is so much wisdom within us and we don't even give ourselves enough credit to go and, and sit alone in a room for an hour mm -hmm. and sit with the sensations of an experience and allow ourselves to answer that. Um, I found it in myself all too common to seek outside myself for information and answers, but I definitely learned how much wisdom is truly within us if we just go there. So that's the last thing I'll say. Yeah, love it. That's beautiful. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you once again, Glow, for being here today. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Sounds good, you guys. May you all be free and be happy. Absolutely. <laughs>